I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. I want to look today at verses 27 through 30. Verses 27 through 30 of Matthew, chapter 5. My subject today is faithfulness in marriage. Faithfulness in marriage. And I'll share with you in a moment what prompted me to, uh, to want to speak to this issue today. And uh, let's read the Word of God first of all as we turn our attention to what God says in regard to, to marriage in these verses. And we'll look at other verses also throughout the message. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. This is part of the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave to His disciples and to the multitudes who listened to His teaching about the kingdom of God and what the requirements for the kingdom of God were and what the attitudes we should have in our lives and, and uh, the right foundation for building our lives upon. And Jesus in verse, uh, chapter 5 verse 27 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your bodies of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye makes you stumble, cut it off. A right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts today and change our hearts, O God, as we have sung. Lord, this is truly the desire of our lives. We come not just to hear sermons, not just to check off a box that we've attended church, but Lord, we've come to encounter you. We come to hear you speak. We've, we've come to hear your word imparted to us, Father, and the Spirit's illumination of that truth in our lives. And Lord, that we would make application that we would change, that we would conform, Father, to your word and be obedient to you, our loving Father, our God, our Savior, our Master, the one who has redeemed us from the pit of sin and lifted us up and set our feet on solid ground. We thank you. And Lord, for those in our, this room today that may have never received the Lord Jesus Christ, do not have a personal relationship with you based on their love for you. And Lord, have never experienced a changed heart, never experienced a new birth, Lord. I pray that today there would be those who would make that step of faith, place their faith completely in you and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross to be the payment for their sin. And Lord, to follow your plan for salvation, your plan to receive your gospel message. And Lord, that today would be a, become a part of the family of God and receive you, Lord, to sit on the throne and live on the throne of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. It was sometime about a week ago, one evening, Brent and I were getting ready for bed, and we usually have the Fox television channel news on as we are getting, preparing for bed. And in our bathroom, you can sort of get an angled view at the TV in the bedroom and, and listen to what's going on if you don't always see it. And I heard something just really caught my ear. There was some statistics given about infidelity in marriage. 
And it was stated, and they were quoting a survey that had been taken. And you know how surveys are. Because every time I hear a survey, I say, well, they never call me. You know, how do they know that percent of people feel this particular way? But, but what, the way the professional companies that do surveys, like the Barna Research um, and, and others like that, you don't have to poll every person in America to find out what percentage. Just like you don't have to eat the whole pot of soup to know what the pot of soup tastes like. You can eat one bowl. You can eat a sampling in that bowl. And so what they do is they take a cross-section sampling and they call X number of people and based on what X number of people say, there is a, usually a plus or minus margin of error, but they can pretty well tell what the overall views of Americans are based on the surveys of perhaps taken of 1,000 people. And here's the statistic that was given. First of all, they said that 70% of men in the United States say that they have had an extramarital affair or expect to have one sometime in their marriage. 70% of men admitting that this is their feeling, their attitude. They've either been unfaithful to their spouse or they expect to be unfaithful to their spouse sometime during their marriage. And then women in this same survey, they, they said this 50% of women said the same thing. Half of the women said the same thing that 70% of the men said. Either they've already been unfaithful to their spouse or they expect to be some point during their marriage. Brenda said, what did they say? And I reiterated to her what I'd heard and we both talked about, that was just... It just blew our minds to think that this is the attitude of America, both men and women, toward the commitment of marriage. There is not a strong commitment in, uh, of, to faithfulness in marriage. Now, Brenda, with Brenda's help, as many of you know, I, I, I do not use a computer by choice. And, and so when I need to... Uh, get on the internet for something, I enlist my wife or I enlist one of the ladies who works in the office and they assist me with what I need. And Brenda got on the internet and I was in the office in our home with her and we were going to different sites trying to see what others were saying about fidelity in marriage. And so we looked at a lot of different, we went to focus on the family, we went to Barna Research Group, uh, we went to some other areas, we read some articles, we read some statistics. But based on the surveys that you'll find when you go on the internet to get information about subjects like what I'm speaking of today, it's estimated that at least between 30 and 60%, this is a conservative number now, very conservative number, at least 30, between 30 and 60% of all married people will be unfaithful to their spouses at some point in their marriage. Now the reason there's such a wide gap there is it's really hard to know because uh, this sin is such a secret sin in, in many instances that it's, it's, ha it's hard to get very accurate uh, numbers in regard to this, but researchers say this is a conservative figure, 30 to 60% sometime their marriage of all married people will be unfaithful to their spouses. Sexual immorality in marriage is more common in people under 30, surveys say, and the reason is that 
Today, in our culture, so many young adults have been so accustomed to having multiple sexual partners when they were single that once they get married, they tend to continue this practice. Men are more likely than women to commit adultery, but as women become more financially independent, they are beginning to act more like men in this regard in regard to sexual infidelity. Now, just while I'm on the subject, today I'm focusing on marriage predominantly, faithfulness in marriage, but very closely related to sexual immorality among married people is sexually, Im, sexual immorality among people who are not married, people who are single. Sometimes in our culture, in American culture, the idea is it's okay to be sexually promiscuous when you're single, but when, then when you get married, you're, you know, that's when you need to be committed. But now we see even the latter of that statement becoming less true because people are not really committed in their marriage according to these statistics that we, have, that we see here. But a lot of people have that feeling. It's okay to sow your wild oats while you're single, but once you get married, then you're, you'll be faithful. But I want you to know, God's Word tells us that it is wrong for a spouse to engage in sexual relationship with someone who is not their spouse. And also the Bible is very clear that it is a sin against holy God for a person to give themselves in a sexual relationship to someone outside of the context of marriage. Did you know that 50% of couples, married couples, cohabit before they are married? 50%. 60% of Americans believe that the, the way to have a successful marriage is to cohabit together before marriage. And by the way, a survey of high school senior boys indicated that two-thirds of these high school senior boys agree with the above statement. About 60% of Americans believe that the way to have a successful marriage is to cohabit. They also believe that's the way to have a successful marriage is to live together before you're married. That's not the plan given us in the Word of God. You read Genesis 2. Now I know we've been doing our daily Bible readings and we've been reading through the Old Testament as a church and we've seen where some very prominent men in the history of Israel, the nation of Israel, they had more than one wife, and they had concubines also. And they conceived children by these wives and by these concubines or these handmaidens, as we might say. But the Bible never condones that. If you look at what the Bible says, all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, singular. Not plural. Cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's been God's plan from the very beginning of time. And if you read the entire Bible, you'll see that that's the way God planned it to be, even though there, were, there are prominent people in the Scripture that violated that principle that has never been the way God planned for it to be. In 2009, a survey was taken among high school students 46% of high school students had experienced sexual intercourse. 46% in 2009. Each year in the United States, 19 million new sexually transmitted disease infections occur. 
And half of these are people between the age of 15 and 24. So we, you know, the, the sexual revolution began in the 1960s when I, I was growing up. That's when it began. That was the early stages. But I'm telling you, it has snowballed. It has mushroomed. It has escalated to a point where there are very few moral standards in general that people have today. Immorality has been accepted. It's been okay. People are not even ashamed to talk about their immorality. Now, I've been listening to Dr. James Merritt, who is pastor of a church over in the Atlanta area, Lawrenceville, Georgia, Cross Point uh, Church. I believe it's what the name of it is. But he has a message called Touching Lives, and it's a television ministry. We get it at 7.30 on Sunday mornings on Trinity Broadcasting. He's doing a four-part series on what he calls the S word, talking about sex. He preached a message on homosexuality. He brought a message on the subject that I'm uh, preaching you today. And then today he preached a, a message. I heard him this morning. He preached a message about uh, just say no. And it's talking about sex, sexual activity outside of the context of marriage. And then there will be a fourth one uh, to wrap up the series. But today I'm on this subject. And matter of fact, I, I jotted down his outline last week. And I... I'm going to use his outline for us today as we look at this passage of Scripture. And the first point is this. There is a law that prohibits adultery. There is a law that prohibits adultery. Look in verse 27. Jesus actually quotes, uh, is, is quoting the Old Testament in verse 27. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. This is a quote from Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are listed. They're also listed in Deuteronomy 5. But in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, we have the seventh of the Ten Commandments, which says, you shall not commit adultery. In God's top ten lists of things that he wanted to put boundaries on to protect us so that we might live life and have life more abundantly, that we might have life because, you see, God's a wise father. He knows the things that will hurt us. He knows the things that will hurt our family and, and our marriage and hurt our society. And so he has put definite, firm boundaries. And one of those is in the area of marriage. And he says, Thou shall not commit adultery. You're to be faithful to your spouse. If you're married, you're not to have other girlfriends and boyfriends of the opposite sex. If you're married, you're not to engage in relationships, sexual relations with a person that is not your spouse. Adultery is, as we've already seen, just very prevalent today. And, and many people have very low regard for marriage, do not have a high standard for marriage. And so to these young students that are sitting here today and for every person of every age in this room, let me just say to you, this is God's best for you. God's laws give us his best. He wants what's best for us. He knows the pitfalls and the hurts and the damages that are done in relationships when God's laws are broken. 
In fact, not only does God forbid sexual relationships of married people with people other than their spouses, but also, as I've already said, the Bible forbids all sexual relations outside of marriage between a man and a woman. I don't know what your culture is. I don't know what your experience is in growing up. I don't know what the household is like where you live. But let me just say to you today, you need to know this is God's standard for marriage, that there be a man and a wife committed to one another for life. Now, I know that oftentimes marriages end for different reasons, not always because of sexual immorality. And I also know that the Bible teaches us that even Christians can commit any kind of sexual sin as well as any other sin, even murder. A believer can commit murder. A believer can commit sexual sins. Can a person be forgiven if they have violated God's law? Yes, I want you to know there is grace. There is grace with the Lord. But I want you to know this, sin comes with a very high price. There are consequences to our sin. And oftentimes we suffer the consequences of those sins even when we have experienced God's grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, did you know that the Bible tells us that in the nation of Israel, there was a time where God allowed 23,000 people to die in one day because of sexual immorality. Now, if you go back and read the Old Testament account of this in Numbers 25, beginning in verse 1 and following, you'll see that it says 24,000 people died with this death plague. But 23,000 died in one day. 24,000 total died. They killed the leaders first, and then they, then they, uh, they uh, killed the rest of the people. But it was the instruction of God that these people be killed, and it was because of sexual sin. That just shows us what, how God feels about those who disregard His law in regard to sexual immorality. Now we don't see people who are in sexual sin just falling over dead every day like uh, in, in the scripture like this happened. But you see God sets standards. He shows us consequences. He shows us the penalties. He shows us his way and we need to follow his way. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and notice what the Bible says in verses 9 through 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that's sexual, those who have sexual relations that are single, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, that's when married people are unfaithful to their spouses, nor effeminate, and this is those who pervert the male-female relationship in marriage. It it covers everything from transsexuals to cross-dressers to uh, those who pervert the normal man and woman relationship. And then it it specifically mentions homosexuals in the next word there. And then verse 10, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now some of us will read that and say, man, I didn't know that. I, I, I'm done. I, I'm, I'm, I'm judged. I'm condemned. 
But look at the next verse. And such were some of you. So these Corinthians, they had committed some of these sins, but they had gotten saved and they were born again and they were new. And and the Apostle Paul is writing to this church that had all kinds of problems. And he says, such, you used to be, some of you used to be this way, but you were washed. That means you've been washed from your sin. You've been cleansed from your sin. You were sanctified. You are now set apart for a holy life because Christ lives in you. And you belong to him, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of the Lord. You have been saved. You've been forgiven of your sin and you've been counted righteous. Now, because of that, don't keep living like you used to live. Don't keep committing those sins. And if you've never committed those sins, Christian, don't commit those sins because those types of sins in general, not, not every unsaved person commits all those sins. But in general, those kinds of sins describe people who do not have a relationship with God. So there's a law in the Bible that prohibits adultery. It prohibits sexual immorality. And in in these verses we just read, if you live this lifestyle and, and you do not have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, there's not a repentance toward God, then you are not a believer according to these. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, a Christian is capable of committing any of these sins that we just noticed. And David, King David, who was a man after God's own heart that we read about in Scripture, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And she became pregnant. And then he arranged for her husband to be killed on the battlefield. And then he took her as his own wife. This was a man that was in high, held in high regard, but in a time of weakness, he submitted to sin. And we see that he was confronted by Nathan the prophet later, and David confessed his sin, repented of his sin, and Psalm 51 is a public psalm that has been read for, for many generations that tell the heartache that that sin caused in his life how it affected him. David paid for those sins almost every day of his life. Several of his sons were rebellious and jealous and vengeful. And his family life was in shambles because he violated the law of God. Keep turning to the right in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 just so that you see that all through the scripture this issue is addressed. There's no question. It's just as plain as day. Ephesians 5, 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So Christian, we must not live this lifestyle. When we do, it shows that we don't know the Lord. So we must turn from these sins. We must confess these sins. We must cast ourselves on the grace of God and we must turn away from our sin. And then look to Colossians. Continue turning to the right in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, that's lust, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And there's a lot of sins listed there. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. So why would a Christian want to commit sins that are 
that are the things, the kinds of sin that bring about the wrath of God. We're children of God. We're called to a higher plane. We're called to holiness and be separate from the world and the ways of the world that are contrary to to the word of God. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 through 8. Here the scripture says in verse 4, or verse, let's back up to verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that means your holiness. You're living a holy life, a Christ-like life. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And I believe it's very clear there, he's talking about our bodies. That we're to possess our own body. That we, the way we use our own bodies to be with sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because of the Lord. When you, when you commit adultery, you're defrauding that person's spouse that you're sinning against. And by the way, young people, when you build, when you get involved in a physical relation with a girl or a guy, you may not go all the way to what we think of as sexual immorality, but you can sin even in things that lead up to that because you can build up in that other person unrighteous desires that you can or desires that you cannot righteously fulfill. So you need to learn how far is too far. And as James Merritt said this morning, it's not very far. It's not very far that you, that you need to go. You need to make sure that you put real stringent boundaries. And don't think that everything that just stops short of the sexual intercourse is okay. It's not. And there are some forms of sexual activity that are just the same as having sexual relations. And we know that because one of our former presidents engaged in that in the oral office, Oval Office. I apologize. That was a slip of the tongue. I promise you. I, I apologize. But really, you know, a lot of times the people today think that as long, if you don't do this one certain act, then it's okay. And that is not true. You need to protect yourself. You need to guard yourself. Young girls, don't give yourself to every guy that comes along. Don't fall in love with every Dick, uh, Tom, and Harry. Don't, don't, don't fall in love with every guy that tries to give you a line and says, if you love me, you'll let me. Do not do that, okay? Because you save yourself. You save your, yourself emotionally for that one that God has for you. I encourage you to do that. Well, let's quickly look at the last two things. Not only is there a law that forbids adultery, but there's a look that promotes adultery. Go back to our original text. Go back to our original text. I want you to see what Jesus says next. He says... But I say to you, in verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already 
in his heart. Has committed adultery already. Just to look. You see, there is a look that promotes adultery. It can, we can commit adultery in our heart. We can com- commit our adultery with the wrong way of looking at a person of the opposite sex. Sin is not just physical, but it is mental, it is emotional, and we can sin even spiritually. In Jesus' day, they thought, well, it's okay if you look as long as you don't touch. A lot of people feel that way today. It's okay to look as long as you don't touch. But Jesus got to the very heart of the problem, and he said that adultery is a sin of the heart. And the word that's translated look in this verse of Scripture has to do with a continuous look. It's a continuous action. It's not just a glance, but it's a gaze. It's looking at a person for the purpose of stimulating sexual desires. And the Bible says, Jesus said, that when you do that, you are committing adultery in your heart. And let me say this to the women and the girls who are here today. Be careful how you dress. You can cause a guy, you can cause a man or or, or boy to fall into sin by the way you dress. Now listen, it's okay to, to make yourself look attractive but it's not okay to make yourself look seductive. It's not okay to do that. Dress modestly so that a man looks at you as a lady. Nothing incites lust and poisons the mind and corrupts the heart and causes one to break the commandment of God than the sin of pornography. Let me say to you, if you are playing around with this on the internet or in other ways, you are playing with dynamite. You are doing something that is potentially destructive and and even that sin in itself, the Bible states, is a sin against the law of God. Did you know that pornography is more than a a $10 billion a year industry? More is spent on purchasing pornography than is spent by people who attend professional uh, athletic contests such as the National Football League, the, the National Basketball League, and the Major League Baseball all put together. More money is spent on pornography. Over, there are over 2 million known pornographic sites on the Internet. And every day, there are 20, every week rather, there are 2,500 new sites that come on the internet. In America, 25 million people visit cybersex websites and they, they, they visit those sites one to 10 hours a week. And then 7 million people visit those sites 10 or more hours a week. And by the way, one of the best websites you can go to to guard your, you and your family is called netnanny.com. N-E-T-N-A-N-N-Y, netnanny.com. Go to that site and you'll find out how you can put barriers and protections. Guard your children. Guard your young children. Guard your teenagers. Guard you and guard your family. Sexual sin starts in the mind and then it goes to the body. Adultery, it not only takes place in the bed, but also it takes place in the head. It begins in the mind, it goes to the emotions, and then it becomes a physical act. Then there's a third final thing I'll say to you today. There is a lesson that prevents adultery, and we see this in verse 29 and 30. 
And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus is making a statement here showing us the seriousness of sin. It's not to be taken in the most literal sense. If so, we would all be blind and we'd all be crippled. But he's saying is, whatever you must do to protect your heart, whatever you must do to protect your mind, whatever you must do to protect your soul, whatever you need to do to protect your thought life, then do it. Whatever you need to do to keep yourself away from those things that trip you up and make you fall and ruin your marriage and lose your wife, rip it out, take it out, get rid of it. For example, if you travel and you have a difficulty with what sometimes is available in those hotel rooms where you stay, then you may need to call the hotel desk and say to them, if you have any pornographic sites that I can have access to, I want you to block those from my room. And they'll do it. Hotels can do that. You need to stay away from the places where the magazines are sold that are not healthy for you. You need to uh, be careful in regard to the DVDs that you rent. You need to put the net nanny on your computer. You need to take whatever measures are necessary to protect your heart and your mind from those things that the Bible calls sin. Now let me just conclude by this. And James Merritt said this last week and I thought it was so good. He compared life to like driving down a freeway. Everybody wants the good life. Everybody wants happiness. Everybody wants to, you know, enjoy life, be fulfilled in life. He said, he said so you're on this, this uh, inter, interstate called the freeway of life. And you're looking for happiness. You're looking for fulfillment. He said, don't take the exit that says adultery. Don't take it. What looks like Disney World is really the Sahara Desert. It promises everything, but it gives, it leaves you, it promises great happiness, but it, it leads to a dead end to misery and unhappiness. And let me say to you today, without repentance and without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, this sin can even cost you your eternal soul. The Bible says that those who live this way will not inherit eternal life. And folks... We can either try to make up our own rules in life as to what's right or wrong, or we can say what God's Word says and let He makes the rules. God is the one who decides what's right or wrong. And I say to you today, let us heed the Word of God. Now, if you're here today and you've never given Jesus Christ your life, that's the first step. You can clean up your life all you want. You can avoid these sins, and you may not even commit these big sins in the physical way. But even if you've, you have avoided that and you've committed them mentally or in your heart, the Bible says you're just as guilty. We all are sinners. There's nobody in this room that's without sin. Matter of fact, we have all sinned against the law of God, either in thought or deed, and we have all violated His law. We have failed to live a righteous life. Every one of us, even the best person in this room, has fallen far short of the glory of God. And we all need God's grace and God's forgiveness. What I'm calling you today is to cast yourself on the mercy of God. He is a good God. He is a loving God. He is a forgiving God. And He's a changing heart kind of God. God. He can change your heart from the inside and your life on the outside. He can make you a different person.
He can forgive you of all your past sin and present sin and future sin. He can become your redeemer. He can become your your savior. And, And he wants to be the Lord who sits on the throne of your life to give you direction and to show you how to live your life. Come to him today. Come to him in repentance of your sin. Come to him in faith, believing on him to be your savior, that he died for your sins. Christ died for your sins. God in the flesh died for your sins. He died to pay the debt of sin. He took the wrath of God the Father on his body on the cross. And it's the only way that we can be forgiven. Only way that we can have eternal life. So it doesn't matter how bad you've been or how good you've been, we all need God's grace and God's salvation. And don't ever be ashamed to come to Christ in repentance. Don't don't ever feel like that everybody's going to be thinking the worst about you. Listen, God knows your heart. God knows your heart. He knows the worst about every one of us. And he knows even that our best efforts at living a righteous life do not measure up to God's standards. And in this room, if we had a testimony time today, there are people all over this room that have failed in some of the sins that we've looked at today and read in the scripture passages. Many people have failed. Don't think that this church is just a museum for saints. We, we are a hospital for sinners. And we call you to a, to a God who loves you too much to leave you where you are. He wants to lift you up and lift you out. And he wants to bring you into a relationship with himself. We invite you to come to him today. Some of you need to come to Christ for salvation. Some of you have received him, but you've never been baptized, being immersed in water, being a picture of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, and identifying with him as having received him as your Lord and Savior. We'll be baptizing next Sunday. Some of you today need a church home. You're a believer. Uh, you're a member of a church back where you used to live some, some time and God's uh, speaking to your heart and you, you know that you need to be a part of a local church. We invite you to be a part of Alberta Baptist Church. I don't know how God's speaking. Maybe some of you are, real, are, are playing with sin in your life, sexual sin. Maybe you're flirting with somebody at work. Maybe you're spending time with a person of the opposite sex that's not your spouse. And you've become emotionally involved and I'm telling you the next step will go beyond that if you don't call a halt to that. Some of you young people may be engaged in, in uh, sexual immorality. I don't know. But, you, but whatever it is, turn from that sin. Do like Joseph. He fled from the sin when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife and she tried to entice him into a sexual relationship. He actually ran from her. She grabbed his cloak and then she told her husband that he had tried to come on to her and then he got put in jail for doing the right thing as a teenager. Let's do the right thing. You're not going to be put in jail for doing the right thing, but it did happen to one person that we know of in history. But I'm saying this, be a person of integrity and a person of moral conviction. Don't be like the world who says everything's okay. When you go into a marriage, you go in that marriage with commitment and you do everything you can to protect yourself from anything that will cause you to fall from that commitment that you've made to your spouse. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, now we give this invitation to God and we, we're trusting you, Lord, to change hearts and lives today. I pray, I pray there'd be people who'd cast themselves upon the mercy 
of your grace. Lord, their sin may not be anything that we've even talked about today. Maybe just a sin they failed to glorify you. Maybe it's a sin that they've tried to live, they're trusting their own righteousness and goodness to earn your favor and merit, and they realize that they have to trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his substitutionary life and death, that he lived a righteous life we couldn't live, and he died for sinners like us. And we cast ourselves on his mercy and we gain his righteousness and our sins put upon him. Lord, I pray there'd be people today that would come to faith in Jesus and I pray in his name, amen. Let's stand together. Jennifer's gonna come.